You got to take a step back and you got to learn from this. You got to realize where there are holes in your game. Remarkable You. Remarkable You. Remarkable You. Remarkable You with Chris Desi. The name of the podcast is Remarkable You, um, based off of the book that I've written, Remarkable You, about building a personal brand and taking charge of your career. But I also wrote another book that was launched in December called Just Like You, 24 Interviews of Ordinary People Who've Achieved Extraordinary Success. And frankly, that's what I'm more interested in. Cool. Um, now, can I have that? That just was... Certainly. How beautiful. Yeah, that, yeah. These, are, these, are, these are for This, this these is are very interesting you. to me. So, great. and the reason why, um, you know, we know a lot about you because you were gracious enough to come and speak at the initial Westchester Digital Summit on our behalf at Silverback Social. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And sure. We also know your story. It's funny. I only spoke for about two minutes there. Right? It was short, but um, I came here and people came to me and told me, you must have said something smart. <laughs> you did. It was great. Um, oh, yeah, I look forward to this. So on the podcast, what we try to do is we talk about personal branding and how individuals can essentially leverage technology to bypass hierarchies and do things on their own. But you've been a trailblazer since day one, um, coming from Brooklyn and sort of blazing your own path, ending up in Syracuse. That was interesting. I didn't realize that you went to Coney Island High School. My father actually grew up in Gravesend, which is right well, Gravesend there. Gravesend, where I had yeah. my first paper route. Is that right? On the yeah. other side there, but Gravesend, where I, where I actually had my first paper route. That's where the office was. But Coney Island, I went to Dewey. Oh, okay. And Dewey was in Coney Island. It was yeah. a new experimental high school. And it was not traditionally where most kids in Brooklyn went. It was actually a school actually people came from all, over, all the boroughs because it was a pass-fail. Experimental, right. kind of almost like a pre-college kind of thing, which is very odd for me because I wasn't a great student. But my mother knew if I went to a normal high school, I would have played sports and I wouldn't have paid enough attention and, and I never would have got to college. So she saw something in you and she said, this is the type of situation that you need to be in. What she was put it? Me, she she put me in a, a non-competitive environment because was, that was the point. It was like, don't right. compete for grades, compete to learn. I love Focus that. on learning as opposed to focusing on your grades. And she also knew if I went to a regular school, knowing the way I am, I would spend every waking moment trying to be on the basketball football team. <laughs> so when she had gone on one of my, one of my, are we on? Are we yeah, yeah, we're going, man. So, um, you know, what happened is my mother went to one of my basketball games, and, and after the game, she usually we'd be driving, she'd pull over the side of the road and have a little quick little conversation with me, and she said, "Look, and I, she never really went to any of my games. You know, my father right. never went to any of my games. My father never saw me play anything, and I was one of those kids that." You know, I don't want to say a father's dream. You know, I'm working since I'm 10. Right. I had my own money. Never had to give me a dime. Never missed a day of school. Why, why, was why wasn't dad there? Was it because he, well, his hours he was working was or he, just, he didn't have interest he in this? No, he was sick. It was, first, not a sports guy. Okay. He was sick. Uh, they divorced at four and he died when I was 12. So, oh, sorry. you know, it wasn't uh, a very functional situation to begin with. They sure. didn't get along. He couldn't help support us. So one of the reasons he didn't come around a lot because he didn't have money that he really should have been giving us to help support us. Right. It wasn't a good situation. So my mother pulls us to the side of the road and she's like, listen, you know, I just watched your game and it was great and I love watching you play. And then you got to remember, I'm playing basketball three, four hours a day. Sure. I mean, morning, night, noon, and evening, shooting. Yeah. And I'm actually starting to feel like I actually have a game. Right. And I'm thinking, you know, my mother says, you know, what do you want to do when you grow up? And I said, I want to play in the NBA. I mean, yeah. clear as day. And uh, she says, listen, you're five foot nothing. Um, there are no white Jewish players in the NBA at this point. It's just not going to happen. That's kind of a thing right. that was, is in the past. Right, right. And, uh, you know, just having watched you play, you know, I'm talking to the coach, I mean, I think you're a good player and everything, but I don't think right. this is really a, a, should be a primary direction. I don't want to tell you what you can and can't do, 
And I really want you to think about maybe not going to a traditional high school. This is experimental high school that I heard about, which really focused more on learning and learning at your own pace. Right. So in some classes, you, you probably can excel in. So I was always good at math, but English would be a little slower. I had a mm. little learning disability. So I went to John Dewey High School, which was a blessing because I really did get into learning. I did appreciate a bunch of classes that I normally would have been a nightmare, like taking Shakespeare or literature, which are classes that no way I could have taken. But since it was past fail, I was able to go in there, get through it, maybe not as good as maybe other kids. Right. And it kind of got me a little more well-rounded, but more importantly, it got me excited about learning. Uh, it got me excited about being in the classroom to some degree. Having all the ADHD, being in the classroom was tough. Yeah. And this was a place where you set your own schedule. So it's not a, I didn't have to stay in class six straight hours. So wow. that was a real problem to me. Sure. So I could take a class, then I'd get a break, and you'd be able to go to these centers to get tutoring. So it was phenomenal uh, insight on my mother's part to send me in that direction. And I think it's really important in the person I am today, because even at 56, I'm still in learning mode. Sure. I appreciate learning. I enjoy learning. And sometimes I think you go in these classes and schooling where it's so dictator, dictatorial or it's not comfortable. Right. Because they're not moving at your speed. You turn yourself off to learn. Right. And I'm turned on to learn still to this day. Yeah. And man. I think that's a big part of how I've been able to kind of keep retooling and resetting, keep going. How do you learn personally? Um, I know that, you know, obviously education is important in your life. You went to Syracuse. I think your son goes to Michigan. Um, and it's paramount for you and the people that are in your ecosystem. How do you handle um, educating yourself? I mean, is it reading? Is it audiobooks? Is it just interacting with people? You're obviously come in contact with very powerful people. Do you, you know, is it dinners? Is it lunches? Like, how do you keep on your edge? Um... I'm not, well, first of all, you know, I have a problem with the learning, yeah. so uh, with the reading, the mm -hmm. learning with the reading. So reading is always a problem. But, you know, when you came in, you, you showed me a book just like you. Yeah. And, you know, you're so excited, I guess. Like, yeah. Can I get a copy of that? Because yeah. it had uh, interviews of 24 yeah. ordinary that turned out to be extraordinary people. And I was like, and you see my eyes kind of light yeah. up. I, I said, I got to have that book, you know. Yeah. And, and because I'm, I'm always, I always think that you don't have to be a genius to do genius things. And I think that. You just got to really figure out who's really, really the best at what they do and who you can connect with out of yeah. those best. I'm always looking for the people that are unbelievable what they do. And it doesn't, I'm not narrow-minded about it. Like it could be the garbage man. It could be the teacher. It could be the police person. You know, there's nothing like an extraordinary police officer. Sure. Who, the way they carry themselves, they handle a situation, a waiter, a server, a restaurant manager. I just love extraordinary people that really are all in and work really hard. That drives me. I get a lot of my learning from YouTube. Mm -hmm. um, I'm on there a lot. I, I think you can get a lot out of that. It's a beautiful thing these days because sure. not a big. It's harder for me to read. I, do, I, I will read, and you see yeah. in my office, I have several hundred books. Yeah. So I do read through books, but um, I, I love YouTube. I think it's a great vehicle. Um, I love meeting with unusual people. Sure. And usually, you, know, you get to a certain level, and I've had a little success. And you start kind of turning your head to certain meetings. Yeah. I, I see it. You know, and and it's, I'm grateful now because I get most of the meetings I ask for, which I'm really grateful right. for. I never take it for granted. Sure. But I don't turn down meetings from maybe somebody I have no idea what they're about or whatever. I meet different kinds of people on different levels. I haven't said I'm only going to meet. Like I have friends of mine that are CEOs and I only meet other CEOs or other presidents. Like sure. I'll still meet a kid two years out of school. I'll still meet somebody five years who's into their job. You know, you just meet all kinds of different people. So it keeps you 
connected to the different levels where people are at. I think it's important to stay grounded, to understand and remember how hard people are working in right. my warehouse. Yeah. It's been a long time since I've been a warehouse person, but I've been right. a warehouse person. Yeah, and so I've you worked in a warehouse. It. Yeah. And I think it's important to stay connected with different phases of people because they're all very, very important. And right. you can learn from all of them. And there are different things going on in all phases of business and life. And you got to keep in touch with it. Yeah. It's hugely powerful. And, you know, I've, I've seen the way you interact over the years, and I know that this is actually legitimately the way you conduct yourself, and it's not just speaking in platitudes as a CEO. So that's, I'm a working that's CEO, really man. I mean, yeah. you, know, you just came in here. I yeah. mean, I didn't like, am I? Yeah, and you're cranking. Yeah. You know, I mean, this is how I am. If not, I'm going to stay home. You know, I yeah. mean, I, I got plenty of things to do at home. Love my kids, love my wife, love yeah. my dog. Yeah. I mean, like, and you know, listen, it's a knock on me too. You know, it's yeah. a knock on me that I still haven't been able to get uh, 25,000 feet above. You know, being a CEO, you're always in this, this quandary of, as you're growing, is do you want to get 20, be able to kind of get 25,000 feet above right. it and get out of the fray? Like, I'm right. still ready to go down to my warehouse and ship some boxes yeah. <laughs> and call some customers or sell an appearance. But, you know, there, there, there's a happy meeting of that. And, and, right. and that's probably a knock on me is that I haven't been able to get out of the roll up my sleeves and still go after it every day. There's, right. there's something to be said about it. I think right. people respect it. But then from a, you know, they, the reality of it is, is that, you know, as your company grows, you need to kind of get away from the fray and, the, and some of the, the diddly-daddly stuff. Right. And kind of get into the visionary and, and growing your company. And I'm trying to find that balance I was going to say, can you do that? Do you, like, allow yourself time to maybe have you know, an offsite to get you like, you're here in this office and, you know, people live streaming at Periscope can kind of like see the, the, the memorabilia is around you. You're immersed in Steiner sports when you come here. Do you do an offsite to just kind of pull back a little bit with your senior team and just think about other things and what's the future of Steiner sports? I mean, you guys are always coming out with these huge deals with really big sports organizations. And I'm like, well, how did that happen? How did that come to be for Steiner sports? Do they approach you? Is it just like how do you guys start to conceive of the next level of what Steiner Sports is doing? Well, I mean, that's a good question. It's a complicated one. We've tried all of that, you know, so we, we do all of that. And I, I, I do take some downtime. I try to get out of the office and try to do not much. Mm -hmm. So I have time to just kind of think and digest. But I think to me, it's about the people, you know, mm -hmm. and it's taken me a while to learn. This is another knock on me. I, I've, I've always found good people, trained good people, but it's hard to keep good people. Sure. It's a real challenge to keep good people uh, and really find exceptional, extraordinary people and be able to hire above you. Mm -hmm. I think it's one of the most difficult things in business, and it's one of the most important things that will enable you to be extraordinary. Right. You find somebody that's extraordinary and you look next to them and look behind them, there's somebody even possibly even better than them Yeah. that's pushing them, guiding them, steering them. And I think for me now, it's more about not so much as me, what I'm thinking, or even putting my team together, but it's more about finding extraordinary talent and figuring out ways so that it can be included. And I think when people are included, it breeds commitment. I think that when you have people included and they have their own ability to build something, it's kind of more my mindset these days. Yeah. Uh, find somebody who's really, really good. Give them, give them uh, an inclusion, uh, you know, give them, give them inclusion. Yeah. Give them a, a real a sense of a part yeah. of it. And not only the money, but, you know, it's the speaking lines. You know, I find myself now where I know I can go to meetings and probably, I know what happened. I would dominate the meeting. 
Sure. It's probably nobody. Just your personality. Me, yeah. And nobody probably knows more than I know. Right. But it doesn't mean that everything I know is is the answer, and it also it stops and halts other people. So they're actually so nobody they're, knows more than I know, but it doesn't mean what I know is the answer. I think that that's really powerful. Yeah, I, I think it's. It, it, I think what happens with a lot of executives, and it's taken me a while to learn this too, is that you have to understand the power that you have, in your, even in your own organization, and you need to sometimes learn to step away from it, even if you have the answer. It's mm-hmm. true in parenting, like. I have every answer my kid's ever going to need in growing up, and I'd love to give it to him, but it's not how it's going to play out. It's not what gets you the best result. you got to be able to sit back and watch your kid trip, fall, scrape his knee, fail, not make the team. Mm -hmm. And I think you got to be able to do that in your own office, too. And so I do that by not going to the meeting, knowing if I was there, maybe we'd have a little better product, maybe it'd be a little better, but that's not how my people are going to grow. And that's kind of been a little bit of a growth phase for me lately. So you, you mentioned something earlier, which I thought was really powerful. And I think your mom was obviously a huge factor in the success that you've seen, understanding what your strengths and weaknesses are and putting you in the position to thrive. But you articulated the fact that you had passion for basketball and that was your passion. And I find that a lot of the millennials that I encounter, I'm 40 years old and, and they're all, you know, I'm going to follow my passion. And I'm a big passion guy. Like I kind of lead with my energy and and I think that that's really powerful, but I also look at the, not the dark side, I don't want to be like, ooh, the dark side of following your passion, but for you, if I asked you when you were a teenager, I'd say, you know, Brandon, what are you passionate about? You would have said basketball, but your mother saw, okay, we're going to take that passion for basketball and we're going to gear it towards something else. Do you have, what are the, what's the advice that you have for the new generation coming out of college, getting into the workforce where they're all about, I'm going to follow my passion and I'm going to make money in my passion, is it definitively follow that or maybe take nuggets of what you're passionate about, see where you can make money initially, kind of get that day job, do the passionate stuff on the off hours and then see what comes of it and, and maybe intertwine, like how did, how did you really get to the spot where you're like, this is it, man, because we know you didn't start right out of Syracuse doing Steiner Sports, right? Like you were managing the oh, Hyatt yeah. down in the Inner Harbor in Baltimore and, and cultivating relationships and, and growing it that way. Well, we're at that point of the interview where I have to say <laughs> that someone that's listening is, if you haven't listened to anything I've said to this point, I'm not upset, but you may want to actually pay attention in the next like 120 seconds because <laughs> this is to me, and because I've given this a lot of thought and I pulled out the little hair that I've left in my head. <laughs> and I think anybody who's a little older has this frustration about the millennials and where their heads are at. Mm-hmm. And it's not that they're not talented. They are. Uh, mm-hmm. They're special. And they're an extraordinary group. They've seen a lot go down and they've been involved with maybe some of the greatest change in this country's history sure. in record time. Yeah. The problem is they're a little lazy. Yeah. You know, it doesn't make them bad employees, it doesn't make them bad people. They're just a little lazy. Think? They just don't have a lot of urgency. So the first thing yeah. is you gotta have balls is my mother's favorite line, which means yeah. you gotta have urgency, you gotta have the ability to go after it and not be afraid. And she's a woman that, you know, lived that. Yeah. And I think that's that's a little bit of certainly what's missing. Um, but I think the urgency happens is that, look, when I was a kid, I'm 56, you know, my kid would be looking at, I played basketball with my kid last night for two hours, full court. Yeah. You know, when I was a kid and your, your parent was 56, you'd be getting ready to make plans for that parent to go to Florida. Yeah, yeah, pack it up, it's Because over. most, yeah. the average age was 63. I <laughs> yeah. mean, so you were really at the last. Yeah, they you know, were done, they were on the. So a big frustration right now, I think, for millennials is not a lot of urgency. I mean, listen. People are older, they're sticking around a lot older, the, the promotions, the big jobs, the bigger opportunities mm-hmm. aren't as readily available as when I was 30, it was when you're supposed to be getting in your prime. Sure. But that's not gonna happen for the millennials because there's too many of the senior people, which is the biggest 
group of people in this country. Yeah, they're not going is, anywhere. Which is the baby boomers. They're not going anywhere. They're not going down to They're Volca. controlling all the money. Right. They don't want to walk away from the power and the money. Right. And it's probably a little frustrating to get the millennials urgent when they know they're not going to be a VP at 32, more, right. more than likely. Unless, when you see millennials really excited and motivated, is with startups. Why? Because there's a clear path. They can see ownership. They could see that they could be involved and have something to say. When you go to these other companies that are fulfilled, all filled up with baby boomers and older people, doesn't mean that the baby boomers aren't, I mean, the millennials aren't needed. Yeah. There's not a lot of urgency, but you can see these people aren't going anywhere. They're yeah. smart. They're right. wealthy. They're, they're locked in. Sure. So that, that's, that's, that's a consideration. And I think the important thing also with the millennials is this, and that is passion is great. Uh, but the problem is that things don't start with passion. Things start with an understanding. And I think that's where the millennials miss it. Yeah. I look at it like this. It's understanding, commitment, and then passion. The millennials want to start that. with passion. I love like that. you have to get an understanding. Like, you know, when I went to Syracuse, I, I had no idea if I can get through college. Mm -hmm. I, mean, I was nervous. I mean, no question, probably the lowest kid that went into Syracuse. But I had an understanding that I was going to go to that school, right. work hard. I knew what was required. I knew what needed to be done to get an accounting degree. And then I made a commitment. And that commitment was not easy. Yeah. Especially for somebody like myself, to in accounting, I I was I was out of my mind. I called home crying. I can't tell you how many times. Sure. But I made that commitment that I was going to leave Syracuse with an accounting degree, no matter what. Yeah. There was no going backwards. And then once I had the commitment, I found some passion in accounting. I found no question passion in business. Right. Uh, and the accounting degree was something that I wouldn't be here today without that degree, that discipline. So I think that when my message to a lot of the millennials, like, yeah, passion's huge. Mm. But it's the third phase in the process. It's not the first one. So when you're walking around looking for passion, walk around looking for an understanding about what's the effort that's required ultimately doing what you do and then make a commitment to it. It's just like if you're going to lose weight. Yeah. You have to get an understanding. It's like what, you know, how many meals you're going to have to eat a day, how many calories, how much you're going to work out, and then what calories you're going to use to fulfill the weight loss. Sure. And then you make a commitment say, listen, no matter what happens, I'm going to do it. I'm not going to eat an ice cream sundae. I'm not going to eat cookies. And I'm going to make sure I exercise four times a week, two hours, whatever it is. And then you get passionate about it. You get excited. Yeah. You see it through. Yeah. Not the other way around. Yeah. Or you'll oh, wow. never end up hitting your goal. And I think what the millennials misunderstand, and, and part of it is confusing to them because there's not the same urgency of, of opportunity for them as there was for us. Yeah. So it's a little frustrating for them because everybody's looking ahead going, where the hell am I going to go here? And by the way, last time I checked, my parents were at this job for 20 years and they got whacked. Yeah. You know, right in the, when things got a little bad, now they're out of a job and they can't even find a job. So there's a lot of that. Yeah, but you've got to make sure that you can't get caught up and let the situation around you define who you are. Sure. And who you are is looking for something that's interesting, yeah. getting an understanding, and then making a commitment. And commitment with an understanding will lead you to passion. Love it. That's unbelievable. Best answer. I'm glad that you told everybody to pay attention during that. I, I hope I, I hope I, I mean, that, that's what I'm about. Like, I, yeah. I wasn't destined to be in the sports marketing business, but once I got to understand about what, where this business was, what was going on, and I made a commitment. I, yeah. I had no idea what the hell this was going to happen, what was going to sure. go on, but I made a commitment that I was going to go and try to help people relive and reconnect with their dreams and their moments that were really special to them. And then it got real passionate about it. So I think that that was re that's really compelling where you just articulated. You said connect, having people connect with their dreams and their moments. You didn't mention a thing about the memorabilia, about the actual physical thing. You talked about dreams 
and moments. And I think that that's really special as a CEO, right? Like you're selling dreams and moments. I'm a big pictureization guy. Yeah, no yeah. question. I got to visualize it. I got to see it. Yeah. I got to dream it. I'm a, I'm, I lead the league in daydreams. There's, nobody that, <laughs> there's no one that daydreams more than me, almost to a fault. But yeah. I think daydreaming and dreaming is, is huge. Yeah. But I will tell you this, and, and I don't say this egotistically, that I think I could have been successful in 50 different types yeah, of business. That you maybe, yeah. maybe, and I remember luck comes in here. Right. So we talked about understanding, commitment, passion. There is luck that gets thrown into the, the sure, sauce. Sure. But if you don't get the luck, you could still be really, really good. But maybe you don't end up with insane success. Right. But you can end up with a lot of success. So then, so then what is it about, and for those listeners that don't know, I mean, you didn't start off doing Steiner Sports. You were, you know, I, I read that you were, you know, managing uh, hotels down in Baltimore in the yeah. Inner Harbor, and you were at the uh, Hard Rock Cafe, and then you started a sports uh, sports bar. Uh, those types of situations, you were, you know, you weren't 20 when you were doing it. This was, you know, the middle of your life, your career, what you were doing on a regular basis, and, and what was it about that skill set in those early days that you perhaps honed and sort of blew up that allowed you to be successful when you finally got to the point where you said, I'm going to take, you know, $4,000 and turn it into the behemoth that Steiner Sports has become. I, I hate to say it so abruptly, but I, I think it's two things. I, I think you have to give a shit. <laughs> you know, I think you have to give a shit. I mean, not about what you're yeah, doing, care. you know, yeah. you gotta, you gotta yeah. care about yeah. what you're doing. And I think that if I only wish I had video, like when I was in the dish room, I was the best dishwasher. Yeah. I wasn't a good dishwasher. I was the best, the best. maybe the best yeah. I'd ever seen, yeah. you know, um, and, and I wanted to be, I was yeah. proud to be. Um, I, I think, you know, I had the paper route, you know, I was going to light up and, and break every record. Yeah. And I think you got to get that. That's the kind of stuff that you, that, and I tell people all the time that the difference between you being successful and not is not the physicality or where you were born, how much money you had. It's your mental mindset. Yeah. It's what you're committed to doing. And and, and, and whether you have really the vision to not be afraid to be the best. You, yeah. you, have, you have to give yourself permission to say, not only am I going to be the best, but it's okay to be the best. Yeah. Nothing wrong with it. So where did that come from? From a kid from Flatbush, Brooklyn, that's you know riding around on his bike doing that paper route. Was that is that is Brooklyn your proverbial chip on your shoulder? Yes. Is it, is it just like you know what? It, why not me? Because it's these Ivy League guys or these guys that get born with a little um, bit of a leg up and that type of thing. You know, I I I never got caught up with what other people had. I grew up in a, actually somewhat of a more of an upper middle class neighborhood, so it's very difficult to be the poorest kid in the neighborhood. Right. It's one thing to be in a poor neighborhood and be poor. Yeah. It's another thing you to be in, a, in a somewhat wealthier neighborhood <laughs> and, you and know be the poorest poor. kid. But, you know, I never got caught up and it was just that much more exciting. And I would say this to myself, and I don't know where that came from, but I'd be like, you know, so I'm good for them. Like, one day I'm going to have that. I'll probably have more if I choose to want that. I don't get caught up with what they had. I knew what I had. I knew what I needed. I was okay with it. I wasn't a chip that way. Right. And that was a thing, a good thing. I wasn't a chip materialistically. Like, why don't I have a house or why don't we have a new car? Nah. I, I think to me... My mother was an unbelievable mentor. She was always guiding me and showing me businesses where people were lazy. We go into businesses, look at these lazy people. They have no balls. They're not doing the right thing. And that's why this probably business won't be around. Right. And she'd always be like, look at Donald Trump. You could be Donald Trump. Sure. You'd be better than Donald Trump. Yeah. I said, Mom, I'm eight. She says, you follow him. Slow down, Mom. Follow him. That's the kind of energy you need to have. Yeah. You, there needs to be no red lights on right. your highway. Like, right. you go and you make it happen. 
look at this guy, look what he's doing. And, and she would always bring light to different entrepreneurs and different people that were definitely breaking out. And it was, it was very insightful as a young kid. Right. You know, my relationship with my mother was really more business. And, and listen, it's not necessarily the way necessarily you want, probably want to raise your children, but it's the situation we're in. I mean, I'm running the checkbook at 10. You know, really? I'm going to Con Edison and I'm like, listen, can you hold this check for three days? Please don't turn off my electricity. And you're learning how to make a sale when you're 10. Wow. You know, to, to someone who's saying, please don't turn off the electric. So, you know, you're on the financial end of things and, and learning how to make sales and learning how to move people at early age because I was like my mother's assistant. Sure. So, uh, you know, I saw things a lot differently at a very early age. And then your imagination and growing up in a place like Brooklyn where you can see so much. Yeah. If your eyes are open. I mean, you know, you're talking about the fourth largest city in the, in the country. And in my little neighborhood, I mean, you know, I knew there were people that grew up two blocks away from me that I never met. Yeah. So just to give you an idea of the volume sure, of sheer a lot people. going on, yeah. So you learn a lot about people and, and things if you're in you're on the street. Yeah. And I grew up on the street. I mean, it wasn't much uh, of a place to live where I lived. So I was on the street most of my hours of the day and, you right. know, looking around and doing this, doing that. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so powerful. So mom was very business minded. Was she a business person or was she was just running the home and she was oh, just no, invested no, no. in My in mother was a woman way ahead of her time. She yeah. had a lot of balls and she was running auto parts company. She ran uh, really? beauty parlors. She ran a travel agency. I mean, when women were just secretaries and staying wow. with mom. So she was not taking any crap from anybody. Uh, she was running poker games in our house. I mean, she was, <laughs> you know, she was running poker games and getting the vig at, at, at the church. You know, she was she was a character and and, and was doing a lot of things that, weirdly. And when I would team up with her, we would do a lot of untraditional things to market those businesses. Right. And we would scheme together. So she's a brilliant woman. Unfortunately, at a time when women just didn't get that kind of play, sure. my mother was. She went to Hunter College for two years. She goes to college for four. And doesn't get into a, a really screwy marriage. She, she's an incredibly intelligent, bright woman who mm -hmm. followed world politics, could go in a room with a bunch of you know people that barely spoke English and make friends yeah. and get in a room with the highest intellects dynamic. and yeah. kill it there too. Yeah. So she was a very dynamic woman, a, an overweight big woman, mm. and carried a big personality. So you, you know you, you caught a lot. You, you caught on a lot with her and. Listen, I was a work in progress. I mean, even from how I spoke, I, I talked like this, and I was, you know, <laughs> you know, to you know, convincing me to, to sure. get the education, right? To get me polished, and, and it was not an easy feat, right? How do you? I mean, it sounds like you, you got to want to go through self analysis, though. You got to want it internally. This is, so that's where I was it. going, right? Yeah. Like, so that's where I was going. I mean, I, there's a lot of people I, I feel that go through life and might have those chinks in the armor. And aren't really looking at themselves as a work in progress and saying, okay, I'm going to attack this and maybe, you know, because I talk like this. I'm, I'm still a work in progress. Though. Yeah, same, man. You absolutely. Know, I'm still a work in progress. But, you know, I, you know, it's funny. I remember I got fired. My mother called me every week when I was at Hyatt. And I got to remember when I got out of school, most of my friends with an encounter made about $18,000 a year. I took a job for twelve because that was my dream job mm -hmm. to go work in the hospitality and I'm working for Hyatt. And I'm working. 80 90 hours a week yeah. i mean i think i worked four or five months in a row maybe i had one day off right um and then nobody even questioned that you know right. so I, I you know i gotten three promotions in two and a half years and i got fired because i was doing these uh speaking things for this restaurant consulting company and i was really upset i'd never gotten fired from anything mm. and i was like this golden boy there. i was one of the popular people there and my boss fired me and because i had been doing something for some competitor and he didn't like it and he didn't think that i was 
I, he thought that I was outside the boundaries. I remember my mother calling me, and then my mother always called me and was like, you got to quit that job. You should be getting paid a lot more. They should, they're, 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 they're taking advantage. Mm -hmm. And I remember my mother calling me saying, listen, I said, I just don't understand they could fire me. I said, listen, you know, nobody's firing you if they really thought that you were doing the job that you think you were doing. Mm -hmm. I said, you got to take a step back, and you got to learn from this, and you got to realize where there are holes in your game. Yeah. And you got to get better at the things you're doing better, and you got to fill in the gaps where maybe you're not so good. And you got to take a step back, and you got to learn. And and she wrote me a note. She says, you know, one day we'll look back on this, and you're going to laugh about this. So we'll yeah. know. And I only got a few letters from my mom, but she wrote this letter. She says, you know, I know you're upset. And I, I mean, I was really upset. She says, one day you look back on this, you're going to be laughing about this. And at that, I remember that day, and I went to the bookstore, and I bought every self-help. Sure. Business book I could find. And, you know, I found Power of Positive Thinking, Norman yeah. Vincent Peale, Og Mandino, uh, you know, Harvey McKay, you know. And the book that really hit home for me was Dale Carnegie. Yeah. Um, How to Win Friends, Influence People. Mm -hmm. I was reading that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And I just went on a mad surge and I started going to seminars and I started, because in those days, there's a lot more of that because you didn't have YouTube. Sure. And you go here, Tom Peters, or you go here, anybody you can go here speak. Right. And I said, I'm going to go retrain my brain. I probably have been in a, in a somewhat of a weird place growing up that doesn't give me the, the complete power to be as positive and as optimistic as I should be. Right, shape got I've got to reshape yeah. my brain. And I got to tell you, it's a tough pill to swallow. My mother says, look, you got to take a step back. You, you need to work out some, you, you're a little rough around the edges. Yeah. You're going to have to work some stuff out. You have to change your approach. More yeah. than likely, you're maybe not as good as you think you are. It's like, whoa. And then go Ooh. read the books, <laughs> you know, and that's, that's what it's about. It's about, you know, taking ownership, owning it, yeah. owning who you are, not who you think you are, <laughs> not who you want to be, or not who people are telling you are, but taking a real look in the mirror and, and owning up with what you see, even if some of it you don't like and changing it because yeah. it's never too late to be the person you want to be. Yeah. And I, th I tell you, I, I spent a good couple of years doing it and the benefits were just ama amazing when you take ownership and stock of not only the good things, but the bad. That was incredible. I, I, I feel like I want to ask you a hundred more questions. We have, uh, we have one good crowd question. Crowd I think question we take, so I'm just going to stand a little closer to the mic. Um, Brandon, coming through business, it was all a lot of relationships that you developed. You were accountable for what you did. You always went above and beyond for individuals. Uh, today with technology, a lot of times you're able to reach more people, but it's at risk of uh, losing the quality of those relationships. So as your career has grown to what it is today, how have you maintained those relationships and how do you develop new ones in this sort of social media technology age? Well, that's a great question and it's a big challenge. Now, I was a guy who used to collect greeting cards and even still in, beyond my desk, I have a drawer with at least three or 400 greeting cards. You're kidding. So no matter what the situation is, I can write you a card, write you a right, note. You just have them on yeah, hand. Yeah. Constantly. I'm a, I'm a letter writer, handwritten. And I think my What Else blog, which is you know, on my website, I think is critical. You know, and, and so now I have 100,000 people that whatever I'm, what's going on with me, I think it's so important to keep an emotional connection. And I got to the point where I have thousands of customers. I have 12,000 people on my personal contacts. Yeah. You know, I have 100,000 people on my Facebook. I, was, I mean, how do you keep in touch with all these people? You know, right. I was in a fraternity. I grew up in Brooklyn. I went to, right. <laughs> and I was like, you know, so I'm going to do a blog. And I'm going to let people, if they want to somehow keep a little in touch with me on a multi-time during the week, I'm going to send out what I'm thinking and what I'm connected to because my life's a little insane. I'm grateful for it. Yeah. But I, so I, so the answer to part of that is I have my blog and I send that out. 
The second part of it is I'm still a phone dialer. Right. I only wish that we invented social uh, media and then invented the phone. Because <laughs> yeah. now the phone thing would be new and everybody would be calling each other and talking to each other. <laughs> but now to get, but, you know, right? to get somebody on the phone now is like it's impossible. impossible. Yeah. But I'm still a phone dialer. I still call people. I still try to write the handwritten notes. Um, I, I, it's an effort, though. I think you have to make an effort. But I still believe in the old school and not just popping a quick email or text, although I think it's important to learn to do that mm-hmm. and to do that uh, the right way, especially with the younger ones to, to know when to text. But I'm, I'm still in the middle of this where right. I'm still writing a note. I'm still picking up the but phone. But you're good with the technology. I mean, listen, we were looking at your Facebook page, and you're doing live streaming QAs on your Facebook page. So you're obviously... But the difference is with me is... Well, let me stop you there. Yeah, so go. do the live stream. You <laughs> yeah. got four or 5,000 people on, which yeah. I was like, wow, this is such a blessing that 5,000... I mean, I go home and nobody wants to ask me a question. <laughs> your kids don't care. Nobody <laughs> cares what I'm thinking. And now I, I, we, we, <laughs> now I got 5,000 people like that want to ask me a question. I'm like, what's wrong with this equation? But the difference is that... So I answered maybe you know, 15, 20 minutes of questions. Yeah. Maybe I answered 20 questions. And I saw when I went to bed last night that I had 250 more questions that were yeah, asked that I didn't answer. And, I, I, and the difference with me is I stayed up till I think about 1.30 in the morning and I answered every question. Because you gave a shit. Personally. You give a shit, like I you said earlier, shit. right? I mean, <laughs> how grateful, you have to be grateful. You know, it starts with giving a shit and being grateful. And the fact that somebody took the time to ask me a question, I mean, geez. Yeah. I can't stop for a minute and, and, and answer it. I mean, yeah. how grateful is that you're actually thinking a, you care about my opinion, and you're connected to me and my company, and I'm thankful for that. And yeah, I'm going to give you your, not only am I going to give you an answer, but they're answering me back, and I'm answering them again. It's two hours. Sure. It took me a solid two hours. My wife had no idea. What are you doing? And I'm like, <laughs> I'm talking to a few hundred people right now. But, you know, they had their questions, and, and I love that. I mean, if, if, I'm not, if that's not going to happen, I'm going to retire. Yeah. Because I think that if people are investing in you and your company, you owe that as much as you can give them back. Yeah. So I think that we just struck on something that is really important. And I think it's the first time we met. I'm certain you don't remember. Um, I was invited here through a friend of a friend. And you had a, um, a motivational speaker for your employees as well as local high school kids. And I, and I was like, wait, what's he doing? What's going on? And I'm, I could just come as a guest. And I think that it strikes a, uh, a chord with me and it strikes a chord with all those people that are asking you questions and it goes back to you're giving a shit. That you're not just about um, me, me, me and look at how great I am and I've improved myself, but you wanna raise up the people around you. And I'm, I'm, I'm really fascinated by that because I don't think every guy in your position is like that. And I don't think every guy in your position is gonna spend two hours after the QA and answer those questions. And and I know I keep harping on the Brooklyn thing. Is that is that from mom? Is that because because when you were starting out, somebody gave you a break and mentored you and gave you two minutes, and you were like, "Wow, thank you so much for that." Is it, was there somebody in your career? It's a whole myriad of people. I yeah. mean, it, it's a lot of things. I mean, you know, it, it's you know when you watch Derek Jeter and, and mm-hmm. he's authentic with every person, even though I know he's got to be worn out. Yeah. But I know the importance he's having an effect. You know, when I go into a speech. And 250 people get online and want me to sign their book. I'm not leaving until the 250 person sure. has got their book, and I'm taking a picture where I'm, I'm talking to them about whatever yeah, they have. I'm just that's that's what what does that mean? I you know I learned that more from Walter Payton, who I'm sitting in the lobby waiting for Walter because we we're doing a media thing with him, and he's in the kitchen thanking the uh, 
busboys and the waiters. He says, you know, wow. you gotta you gotta appreciate everyone, Brian. How great was it that I went into the kitchen? These guys never get to meet somebody like me. Yeah. And I, I remember that. He's like, and I'm like, you're right. You know, I mean, and I'm not saying I'm that big a deal or that big a name, but if no, I can for have a lot a, of people, you are. But if I can for have a lot an impact, you're that guy. I, I, I gotta that, take it. Yeah. If yeah. not, stay home. Yeah. And, and there's nobody forcing me to go out of my house. Right. But when I go out of my house and I get in these situations, I want to be 100% authentic and be with as many of the people, especially when they're paying me to come and especially when they, when they want me there. So, I, you know, I get that from a lot of different mentors and I've learned so much, I mean, from all, so many different people and I get my own impression about what it takes to be the kind of person that I want to be and I'm striving to do that. I want to be that person that, that when it, it's not every employee loves me. I'm not walking out and going, Brandon Steiner was right. the best. <laughs> right. No, no, but right. when they walk out and look back on this, they're like, you know, some I learned a lot from that guy. That son of a bitch. Yeah. I learned a lot from that guy. <laughs> He was a pain in the ass because when I hire him, I tell him, I said, I will not stand for you basically coming in here and not growing. I won't. Yeah. You either grow or you go. Love when it. I don't think you're growing, I will ask you to go. Out. And it doesn't even, I don't care. You may be profitable. You may be making me money. But if you're not growing, you need to go somewhere else and hang out. Wow. Don't do it here. And um, I, I think that when employees, you know, I get a lot of calls and people that I've fired or people that I've fought with and. Like, you know, Brandon, you were paying the ass, but <laughs> you pushed me. And, and, and that's the people you remember. Right. You don't remember the people that were all nice and tiptoeing around. You right. remember the people that were confrontational with you and, you and, and, and create some chaos with you. Yeah. That's how you grow. And, and that's, that's I get that from my mom. So, I mean, you touched on a couple of big names. And this is not you name dropping. These are just the people that you do business with and you conduct your everyday life with. But they are icons in sport in business in our culture i mean you're talking cultural icons i'm looking over your shoulders a picture of you with jay-z and mariano rivera in the same <laughs> photograph that like that blows my mind right so so of those people are there i don't want to ask like the one person that you were so impressed with because i'm certain that you were impressed by a lot of people are there a few people that you can point to and you say this is a human being that I want, that I would want my kids to be around to learn from the way they conducted themselves. So many the of them. I mean, and, and you know, athletes and celebrities get a bad rap because you only see them a certain way, and they're so dramatized. But you know, at the end of the day, I'm a collector of good habits and of success. And if you're with somebody, anybody on any level, and that's what I was saying before. There's a reason why somebody's really, really, really good and extraordinary at what they do. It's not by accident. Sure. And I'm a collector of that. So as much as I'm starstruck still to this day, and I'm still yeah. jazzed to be with any player of any magnitude, I'm still also saying, how the hell did that guy become, how did that person become so good? Yeah. So, you know, I, I love Eli Manning. I, I think, you know, like my daughter want to marry Eli. Like I, I'd say <laughs> that even though he's happily married, great guy. I mean, he's just a great quality quality person yeah. i love mark messier you know quality person uh great person um you know listen i learned a lot from jay-z i mean yeah. you know i mean jay-z was sitting there watching yankees with our seats right next to each other and like i want to ask him a million questions he's asking me oh yeah you know, what's up with that what's up with this but you know see and that's what i learning he was so he's just, got a curious mind yeah, and, I, and i think i think you know you the only way you could really measure the millennials or the kids for that matter is their level of curiosity you know, people that. that are highly curious, you know, there's a good chance that, you know, there's some success and hard work coming behind it. So why else would you be asking the questions? Yeah. And here's Jay-Z, who's, you know, and he's asking me, like, what's up with the sign out in the outfield? And tell me about that deal you do with the Yankees and what's it like to do this and that. And I thought very that was cool. very intriguing to me that a guy on that level was still trying to learn. Wow. Um, and I think I find that true with 
Um, a lot of different awkward people that you would never think that are really trying to figure it out. And I think you'll see with Derek. I mean, uh, just watching him is—he's a guy that's still learn. You know, he's looking—he's he's not done. The paint's not dry. Like I love people like that. Like you know, he's got his player Tribune, and he's still right. trying to grow his turn too. And he's—he's you know, he's doing things that reinventing himself instead of sitting back going, "I was the greatest shortstop," and he can make a great living just yeah, being who he was. Confident and neutral, being who he was. Like, Only in sports yeah. can you make a living on who you were. Yeah. Everybody else is trying to reinvent themselves <laughs> and go forward. But, but he's not even willing to settle for that. And that's what I love about him. So those are some of the people. I mean, you know, you hang around at Derek Chief for 20 years. It's, you're grateful because you're part of an unbelievable career. But at the same token, you've learned so much what it takes to be a person like that. Yeah. You can't help but trying to grab some of that right. for yourself. Sure. You know, uh, and his parents, too. You know, you learn a lot. I mean, how does a person like that? I always tell my friends, like, Look at the person, but then if you really like the person, go find out who raised them and go find and go find what their tricks because they didn't yeah. become a great person by accident. This didn't happen. Over Derek there. didn't become a great person <laughs> all this by himself. I mean, those those great parents. They raised well, yeah. and, and some of it's luck. I mean, but yeah. uh, every time I'm with uh, Charles Jeter and Dot Jeter, I mean, man, anything I can learn from them. I mean, they're amazing insights about how to, how to deal with youth and how to deal with kids and. and I think they're really a big help in me raising my own kids and understanding how oh, to do certain powerful. things. So, by the way, I love Derek's book. Yeah. Um, he, he didn't love writing a book, but the player, uh, the player I imagine, because it's the only book he wrote back, I think, 15 years ago, was really a book about how he got parented. Wow. So I always tell people, it's not a baseball book. You should read that book. This is a great book. He talks about what he liked and didn't like about the way his parents parented him. It's about life. Yeah, yeah. it was a good book. Uh, it's a sleeper book, I think, because he's such a big name. Right. And it does talk about his career to some degree, but it really missed the main message point, which I thought, which was like, hey, here's what my parents did to kind of kick my butt into going this ultimate direction, which I ended up. Yeah, well, maybe he'll have a resurgence now that he's retired yeah. and he can remove himself a little bit. From my memoir to parents, like, don't, I mean, I hope you understand from even listening to me, my mother had a huge impact. Yeah. And I tell parents all the time, don't ever forget your kids make believe like they're ignoring you, they're not listening, I go home that. They're taking it all in. Yeah. And parents have an insane impact on how their kids turn out. And you can never forget that every day could be a turning point or something you say or do that can have a dramatic impact on them, which ultimately could have a dramatic impact on the world. And you should never forget that responsibility as a parent, even though sometimes it's frustrating and your kids are doing some crazy things that aren't quite what you're hoping they were going to do, but they're taking everything in. And Things can change, and things do change with kids. That's why kids are kids. Yeah, you shouldn't forget the impact you can make on ch children. Because I know when my mom was, it was unbelievable. And I was one of those kids who listened to their mother. Not yeah. everybody wants to listen to their mother, but at the end of the day, who knows you better? Yeah, very powerful stuff. So I'll, I'm going to take a, a, a piece out of your book. I'm going to say, what else? What else do you have in the pipeline for the people that are listening? Um, are there new books on the horizon? What's Steiner Sports doing that we can talk about? Where should we send the listeners so that they can learn more about you? What's your blog? Can you, If you can give a little plug away, well, go for it. Yeah. I mean, just, just in a short note, I mean, I'm up to some really, really big stuff. I, I think it's going to be one of my best years. Um, I've given myself permission now to, to, to go to another level, mm. and it's taken me some time. It's not always, Things don't always happen quickly, so I've had, I've been, from a personal standpoint, a little frustrated the last six or eight months. Uh, um, not some things not falling into place the way I would like, but um, 2016 I've really reset with some really big visionary goals. I think if you want to connect with me, 
I mean, I think you go to brandsteiner.com, register for the blog, or go to my Facebook and like mm -hmm. me. And I, I think there's fascinating stuff's on there. I try to make it interesting. I give away a lot of stuff and everything else. And um, you know, it's it's most importantly is you know being continuing to be a good husband. 27 years uh, with my wife. I'm not sure what that says about her, <laughs> but uh, you know, I'm very grateful, and I'm not going to ever let that not be the number one priority, along with you know my children. So, mm. uh, as crazy as I get on the business end of it, uh, I'm grateful that you know I get to keep my family intact. We still like each other, and we're still enjoying doing things together, and, and that's important uh, for me. I think one of the most, deep, if not the most, uh, one of the most important things, you know, being healthy. Uh, living a really efficient, you know, productive life with my family, not just making a lot of money so that we can do stupid things. So uh, that's what's in store for me. Uh, I'm excited about this year because we've been challenged here at Steiner. You know, we're, we're dealing with a lot of competition. Um, there's, there's a lot of competition in the marketplace. People have kind of caught sure. up with some of the things I'm doing. Mm -hmm. And it's really pushed me to either retire or take this puppy to another level. And I always use like Dunkin' Donuts as an example. I mean, you know, like 10 years ago, I mean, I, I think that place going out of business, people are getting healthy. Who's eating donuts? And then right. this guy comes up with these breakfast sandwiches and coffee and kind of combines yeah. with Baskin Robbins. And who, who doesn't want to own a Dunkin' Donuts Don't. franchise, yeah. right? So, you know, there's lots of ways to spin things. And, uh, um, and that's the thing I want to leave the listeners with, which is you may think you're in a corner. You may think you're in a tough spot. There's always a way to readjust, reset. And sometimes when you even at a low moment, it's just really just the beginning of getting to something much bigger and better. Losing will give you the blueprint for winning. You got to lose sometimes in order to really see what winning is all about. And I think sometimes it's a good smack in the face is what you need. Wow. So powerful. Thank you so much for your time. That's Brandon Steiner. This is Chris Desi on the Remarkable You podcast. If you guys want to hear more episodes and learn more about Brandon, go to my blog at www.chrisdesi.com. Um, hopefully we're going to hear a lot more from Brandon. We're going to see a lot more coming in the future, but this has been educational, entertaining, and so much fun. Honored to have you on the podcast. Thank Thanks you so much. Thanks for having me. Appreciate you and let's keep in touch. Really appreciate it. Look forward it. to reading your book. It's very cool. Thank you.